My name is uh, Rodney Wilkson, get the service pastor of Gospel Fellowship, lead pastor of Gospel Fellowship. Uh, we are in a series on manhood, um, looking at biblical manhood, and um, we're just excited for what God's doing in and through us. Um, I do also want to give a shout out to folks that came through to our men huddle on uh, Friday. Let's give God praise for that. Um, it's great to see guys come out and... Um, Man, break bread, uh, eat fellowship, um, and I think it was a great start to something that God's doing, and so just look forward for more from that. Um, if you weren't there, just make sure you're there next time. I think it's beneficial. Amen? Um, you can find me today in Second, King, uh, Second Samuel, uh, it may be wrong on the screen, Second Samuel um, chapter 11, Second Samuel chapter 11. Amen. We are in a series on biblical manhood and we'll be uh, jumping to biblical womanhood next week. I'm excited about that. Uh, ladies, if you're here, you only got one more week before it's your turn. Um, so I'm excited about that. I just want to also just give this little pro, uh, disclaimer as we jump into this. Uh, if you're a lady here, um, I think there's stuff that you can benefit from this talk this morning. Uh, I think it's good that you're here, and I think it's beneficial for you to be here. Um, but I just want to warn again, this is not a list for you to beat up uh, your husband with or your brother with or your cousin with. Um, this is a list for you to be praying about and praying for. Uh, so I want to encourage you to that. Also, I want to encourage you to celebrate the men that are in your life. Uh, whoever that is, uh, husband, brother, um, mentor, um, whoever that is, when God puts a godly man in your life, you should celebrate them. You should encourage them. You should root them on to keep going uh, and following after Jesus. Uh, one more footnote for the ladies, and we love you. I'm just trying to help you. Um, never. Somebody say never. never. Come on, say never. Never compare your man to another man. Um, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. I got you, Doc. I got you. Never, ever compare your man to another man. Never compare any man, particularly to a pastor. Um, cardinal sin number one. Um, no man wants to be looked down uh, when his woman or his wife or sister looks at another man and say, why can't you be like? Men by nature are comparers. We already in our psyche are measuring ourselves by other men. We don't need your assistance. What we need you to do is tell us to not compare yourself to another man because the scripture says in doing so, that is not wise. Okay, so just want to throw that out there um, just as a cardinal rule. Never say, well, you just need to be more like, mm, don't do that. Uh, it's not going to end well. <laughs> um, and you'll end up seeing two things. Number one, him lash out in a response to you or I would say arguably more concerning should be him shutting down. And just saying, cool, this is who I am. And just put a halt to his developmental process. So 
I just want to encourage you in that way before we jump into the word. I'm excited. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, um, verse 1 through 5. I'll ask if you have the little ones. We're so glad you have babies and, and they're here and they're part of the church service. We're going to ask that you just help me out today if, if they begin to cry, if you could gently just walk outside with them or if you can put them um, in fellowship. Kids, we have a great program going there and so we'll love to watch your kids as you sit and eat the word. But just if they're here today and they start to, to help me preach just a little bit too much, <laughs> uh, we'll ask that you please step outside just so that the people next to you can hear the word of God. Amen? Second Samuel chapter 11, let's get into it. Let's look at five verses and we'll move forward. Uh, verse number one. I'm going to read the first verse. If you would, uh, pick up as I fade out. Amen? Read with me. Let's read the word of God together. Let's read. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent for Joab and his servant with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Next slide. Hmm. Hmm. I want to talk to you about um, a consistent strength. I want to talk to you about a consistent strength. We'll look at three things. A consistent start, a con a, the cost of inconsistency, and a real strength. A real strength. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, We live in a culture, Lord, that does not celebrate manhood. There's even a lack of markers to help us to identify when we've crossed over from boyhood to manhood. We are in desperate need of a revolution of godly men. That when we look at our culture, our culture, our society is screaming for manhood. So Father, I pray, uh, I confess my inability to change anyone's heart. I confess that, that my words alone do not have changing power. And if you, Lord, don't step in and anoint your written word and use my spoken word, to convict the hearts of men and allow the Holy Spirit to bring about the change that needs to happen. Lord, this is just another sermon, but I pray that you would use this time to be uh, 
shaping and transformative that you would allow us to think about things during this time that we have not thought of before. Even from a familiar text, show us the uniqueness of your truth, that your truth is able to reach deep down inside the recesses of our mind and change us. Lord, speak to women in this congregation under the sound of my voice. Would you help them to see ways they can encourage and strengthen and even as you give leeway, challenge, or speak truth to the men that they need to in a way that is godly and leads to transformation. And so we pray that you will use this time in the word so that we look more and more like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. A consistent start. I'll be using this word consistent over and over again in this talk today, so I want to give us a working definition for it. It should be on your screen. Uh, consistency is, is firmness of character. Firmness of character. It is the ability to make mature quality decisions. Here it is. Time and again. This isn't the ability to make one decision. This is creating, uh, by God's grace, a legacy of sound decisions over and over and over again. But it does this while facing the inevitable temptations that Satan scatters across your path. So look what I'm, look what I'm marrying together. It is the ability to make sound quality decisions over and over and over and over again, but there is an adversary to consistency called temptation. It is the ability to make those sounds, decisions over and over again in the face of inevitable or show enough temptations. Not that, you know, I'm, Lord, don't let any temptations come. The temptations are coming, but in the face of those temptations, it is your ability to make sound quality decisions because Satan is scattering these temptations in front of you uh, just like a man would or, or like a sower would scatter seed. We live in a culture that is, that is fast-paced and we know that the only one thing that is constant in life, one thing you can bank on, one thing you can take to, to the bank, that the only constant in life is change. But it, it seems like our culture is, is really hyper-changing. It's like change on steroids. It's just a fast-paced changing culture that we live in. And so us, particularly uh, people in here that would consider themselves or uh, by age are ranked in this profile called millennials. Uh, millennials are, are, have somewhat been, been, been generalized in a way that says uh, that they don't do things for long. Uh, so they'll be in one thing today and out of it tomorrow. They'll be in a relationship today and out of it tomorrow. Sometimes they'll be strongly committed to a cause, but before the cause can catch momentum to become a movement, some have already fizzled out and joined another cause. Sometimes, and we learned this last week, Elder Mark shared this last week when he said maturity thinks long term, but sometimes in our culture we are, we are just surrounded by I want it now, 
mentality that says, give it to me and give it to me now. We live in a fast-paced culture, and our culture, if you will, is allergic to this idea of consistency. So even what I'm preaching about today, uh, some would just push back against it and call that old school or traditionalism or, or, or establishment or whatever word you would use to, to label consistency. We live in a culture that's allergic to that. So when you read the Bible and you read uh, things like God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, you understand that the God that we worship is consistent. The scripture says in him, there is no shadow of turning. He's not one person a day and then tomorrow he's a whole nother person. Some, some of us know people like that. One day they're, they're happy, happy, joy, joy, and the next day they're, they're, they're down because something happened in their life. This is not the God that we serve. And this God that we serve tells us, I want you to be steadfast. I want you to be uh, abiding in truth. I want you to be unmovable. He wants us to mirror the consistency that he has. And so I think one of the things I want to highlight for manhood, because I think this is crucial for us to get, is that God is calling us to be consistent. Why? Because you can count on consistent people. You can, you can set your watch by a consistent person. You, 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 you know where they... they <laughs> If, if you're consistent to anything, so work tomorrow. If you're, if you're a consistent worker, if you're not one of those people that say, I, I'll see how I feel when I wake up. <laughs> like, you don't make early Monday morning decisions about what you're going to do for the day. Like, if you're, if you're consistent at work, then people, the expectation, of course they're showing up to work. They're not asking this question, well, I wonder if they're going to come in today. We'll see. Let's cross our fingers. No. Consistent people are where they said they would be because they make this decision over and over and over again. Now, I'm not saying that change is bad or that there are not times where God is calling us to change, but one of the marks of maturity, specifically in the life of a man, is consistency. Oh, man, this, can I pause and take a derail and talk about kids? One of the things that our kids need is to see consistency. So I want to use as a case study for this the life of David. And I'll give you some context before uh, we get back to our text. David is... A, a really, David's, David's a nobody. This is, this is a kid that is, he's overlooked by his father. Uh, his father has other sons and he's grooming them for the military and for battle. And David is some nothing kid hanging out with a few sheep, tending to these sheep just day in and day out. He's a, he, he, he probably considered a little bit, a little bit off by his dad. He's this, he's this creative person, and creatives in here kind of know that struggle, know that tension, trying to find their place, trying to find an environment that works for them. So David is, is, is this guy that's tending sheep, but off in the cut, he'll start playing the harp and, and making melodies and jotting down songs. 
And he's, he's misunderstood by his father. He's overlooked by his brother. And God is looking for the next king of Israel. And Samuel comes to his father's house and he lines up all of the sons that are being groomed for military to stand before Samuel. And, and, and Samuel says, none of these boys are who God is choosing because God warned Samuel before he went, when you go there, don't look on the outside because God, God doesn't look at the outside, God looks at the heart. And, and he's sitting there and he's looking at these sons. He's like, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. No, that's not it. Footnote, manhood doesn't always, uh, it's not always graded by how someone looks on the outside. Sometimes you got to dig a little bit deeper to see the essence of a man that goes beyond what he looks like on the outside or what he drives or where he lives or what degrees he has. And Samuel says, uh, these boys ain't it, and I'm not sitting down till your other boy comes. We'll stand and wait. David, can you see him coming from the background to the forefront, this probably dirty little kid, harp in hand, wondering what do these people want? And when Samuel see him, he, he pours the oil of anointing all over David. David is anointed king while he's a boy. He's 15 years of age, and he's anointed to be the next king. Challenge is going to take at least 15 years before he becomes king. So from the time he's anointed to the time he becomes king, David needs to model consistency. Another footnote. Don't hear me raise David before you as this perfect person or this person that we should aspire to be. If you read the text properly, what is made much of is not David. It is God that calls David when David doesn't even measure up to be called. In other words, it is not that David was so good that it made God anoint him. Listen, David is flawed, and if you don't believe me, he's going to prove it to you from the text. It is not that David has some perfect righteousness that gives him this place in God. No, David is still a mess. And just because you're overlooked don't mean you're perfect. Just because you're disregarded doesn't give you this righteousness now because you've been mistreated. No, don't miss that. The scripture says, for all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. So, so, so what is it? Why is it that God chooses David and doesn't choose the rest? There's no inherent good that he should, should come down and, and, and tend to David. It's just his, watch this, unmerited favor in grace. Why does he choose David? Because he chose David. So what does that mean for us when we are saying, God, God, why not me? Why not me? God, what? No, it's, it's not always to see, well, didn't I do this and didn't I do that? Well, listen, beloved, you can't earn his favor. He just grants it where he grants it. And if you feel like you're in a season where you're not receiving his favor, then trust his wisdom and knowledge for your life and hold fast to the God who is faithful and consistent. 
because he's consistent, he can be trusted. What, what blows up from this text is not how good David is, but how gracious God is. And David will begin to walk kind of in that consistency. And he'll see, man, if this God took me from nothing to being anointed king in front of my hating daddy that didn't want to give me no favor and the trifling brothers that I had that was hating on me all my life. And then he brings me from way back there to way up here. Yo, this God can be trusted. And David just kind of just runs after him, right? And so when he's tending to these few little sheep and a lion shows up, he says, wait a minute, um, I can't beat that lion. The same way I got anointed by God's grace, I got to live in that. And so God, give me the strength to beat the lion. And he defeats the lion. When the bear comes, it's the same thing, trying to get to the sheep. God, give me the strength to beat the bear. It's, it's not in my own might or my own power, but it's by your grace and mercy and goodness that I even stand here. And if I'm going to be king, then this bear can't kill me. So I need you to stand up in me and be what you're calling me to be. So when he sees Goliath, understand this is his pattern. He didn't just roll up on Goliath. Some of us look at people doing stuff in ministry and say, well, I just want to do that. But you don't just roll up here. Just let me pray. I mean, I, I can run it. I can run the church. Really? Well, first, who going to follow you? Because your family don't even really like following you. Because you ain't consistent. So you'll say one thing today, something completely else tomorrow. Consistency, beloved. Hear me, man. Consistency. So when David comes, it's the pattern. He's picking five stones because it's the pattern. Listen, you come to me with swords and spears, but I'll come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. It, it ain't in David's power that makes him cocky. He understands it's in the power and the grace of God in which I stand. It's a pattern. So when Saul is after him, trying to kill him, and he has an opportunity to issue revenge on Saul, he catch Saul slipping. And if he wanted to, cat, cat, Saul could have been done. Instant kingdom reign. Yo, that boy David, he a bad man. He could have did it his way. But he submits and he does it God's way. When the popularity of the people and the women are singing and they're saying Saul has killed his thousand, but David his ten thousand, he does not submit himself to the popularity of the crowd and makes him do something he's not ready to do just because people are in his ear. David uh, is wise enough to know that people will praise you today. Drink some coffee on. And put you down tomorrow. David gets it. People are frickle and frail, so you can't base your life on the public opinion of people or what Facebook says, Instagram says, or how many people like what you know. It's too, it's too weak. David understands where I'm drawing my strength is not from the applause of man, but my intimacy with God. So let me get up under that tree with my heart and serenade the one that chose me. <laughs> so when, when we come... To our text, let me just say this before we go. It's easy or it's easier to be consistent when we're needy. When, when we need God to show up, we say, ah, I'm going to be consistent, Lord. I, 
I need you to do something for me. I, I need you to show up in a powerful way. I'll be consistent. I'll be faithful. I'm there. The church doors is open. So I need God to do something. I'm there. I'm we used to have prayer at the office. All of a sudden, you see somebody in prayer. Ain't, ain't been there in about a year. I ain't talking about nobody. I'm just... I ain't, I ain't talking about nobody. I'm just, just talking this Sunday. All you see is oh, crying. Oh, Jesus. I mean, laboring in prayer. I mean, going in. It's, when you need something, it's not easy. It's just easier. To be consistent. And so when we get to our text, understand, David, he's gotten where he wanted to go. He's, God has given him victory over his enemies. He, he's not out there fighting anymore when he was fighting for Saul. He was out there fighting and killing folk, and, and, and he's past that. Now he's just, he's, he's king. Now he doesn't fight, he, he sends people to fight. Hey, hey you. I mean, the text tells us it, it, it's in the spring. It's when kings would go off to war. There were seasons of war at that time. and There were times where, where, where you would take a break because of the weather. The conditions were not right for war, so there would be seasons to war. It's, it's time to go to war. And David, David, the Bible says, is at rest. And it's, it's not like David is supposed to be necessarily on the field fighting. But even if he's, even if he's at home, because his men are fighting. David should be interceding. Maybe the place that David should be is not up on this rooftop, resting and hanging out. Maybe David should have been meeting with his strategy advisors on what is the best route for us to take for this war. Men, when you are not where you're supposed to be, preach right now, you're just, you're just out of place. You just, you're, you're out of step. You're, you're not consistent. You're, you're missing an action. And folk ask it, hey, have you seen something? I ain't seen her. I mean, you talk to her. You're just out of step. You, listen, it's not you chilling. It's not you resting. It's not you doing you right now. It's not just you taking care of your needs. It's not just I need some me time. What you're doing is making yourself a huge target. For the enemy to pick you apart. David is on the rooftop. He's resting. Maybe he had a long work week. I don't know. Maybe some stuff happened on the job. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's bills in the kingdom. And he has more month at the end of the month than he has money. Maybe his family is, is on his last nerve, and they're dancing on his last nerves. I, I don't know why David is there, but he's there. And the Bible says he's out just walking on the roof, coolness of the night. And as he's walking, he sees Bathsheba bathing. And Bathsheba, she's a dime piece. I love the Bible because it slips little uh, facts you need to know in the story. The Bible says she is, she is, she is good of appearance. Or she is beautiful. She is beautiful to look at. Bathsheba is a dime piece, and she's outside bathing. Now, some of y'all will see, 
would say, well, Bathsheba was just trying to trap David. She knew what she was doing. Outside, bathing, she just have a bath. She wants to take a bath. Maybe some people say, well, she knew David would be up on that roof. She saw David on that roof. She ran out and she took a bath. But the Bible, I've just heard that preached before. I'm sorry. The Bible is, if, if we read the text, the text gives us some understanding because the, the text tells us the reason she's bathing outside is that she's just come off of her purification cycle or season. She's, she's, she's obeying the law because she's trying to clean herself at a time where other people won't see her. It was a part of the purification process. So her bathing is not her trying to seduce David. It's actually her honoring Old Testament law and following the order of purification. It's really, it's not a practice of being immoral. It's a practice of modesty. In other words, while she is trying to keep the law, David is trying to follow the wickedness of his own heart. So when David sees her, that's not, hear me guys, that's not the sin. For David to be able to tell she's beautiful, that's not, that's not the sin. Hear me guys, and, and, and if you sit next to your wife, just keep looking at me. Just don't, <laughs> don't make no noise. Just keep looking at me, I'll help you. There's this misconception that once men get married, they can't see beauty no more. So their beauty goggles have been taken off, and only they can see their, oh, just my wife, just my. But God didn't, God, men are, are, are stimulated by sight. Hear me. So they see beautiful women. Not my husband. When he come home, he don't talk about no beauty. Just because he don't talk about it don't mean he didn't see it. Keep looking at me. Keep looking at me. <laughs> Keep look. Don't say nothing. He, he sees it. The sin was not in David saying and seeing it. It was in when his sight took the next step into lust. It wasn't that he saw it. It was that he saw it and said, oh, man, I wonder, I wonder. See, uh, there, there, there are three steps to this that I want to highlight for you. Number one, it's, it's that he saw it. Number two is that he saw it. Number three is that he took it. He saw, he sought, and he took. He, 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 he sees her, and that's not the sin. What David should have done, and he knows this, is he should have saw her and then turned away. He, he said, oh, too much for me. And brothers, I want to encourage you to have that pattern of living that if you're on the internet and you see something in it and it, and it triggers you and it's, 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 it's nothing inappropriate, but it hit a trigger, maybe it's time for you to just jump offline. If, you, if, you, if you're somewhere, maybe you need to take a walk. Maybe you need to get away. Because listen, it's imperative for us to not allow what we see because there are beautiful women everywhere. You live in South Florida, there are going to be beautiful women everywhere. This is going to be something you're going to have to fight for the rest of your life. The sin is not in the seeing. The sin is when you're seeing transforms into wonder. I, David says, I wonder what it would be like. 
He wonders, and he doesn't just wonder by himself. He brings other folks into it. Call my servants. Do you know who she is? Is she married? Let me jump on Facebook and see what she looked like. <laughs> oh, y'all don't think David had Facebook? David had Facebook. He was on Instagram, Twitter. He's, he's, he, he's letting wonder make him wonder away. He's pulling in his service and saying, get me information. Who is she? Who is she married to? Who's a daddy? Because at that time where you came from had meaning. Still does today. He's, he's getting the full background check. And men, hear me. This is why accountability is crucial. Because I've seen men come and say, Rodney, I saw. And Rodney, I started to seek, seek it out. And I was able to grab them and say, Get that thing right, man. Come on, let's not. We, we, we not doing that. But if you ain't got no other man to grab you, and you got to make yourself grabbable, um, then it just, it leads us down a path that's not what God wants. David, David wonders, and, and, and the Bible says once he hit this trajectory, there's no speed bumps in his life. There's no road checks in his life. And if they are, he has organized his life in such a way to where people don't even talk to him like that. Yeah. It's not that there's no prophets to speak truth to David. It's that David has isolated himself away from the prophet. Because he knows so much. See, when you prideful, it's hard for you to be checked because you just want to tell me what you know. You're not going to tell me what you struggle with. You're going to tell me what you know. Dude, bump what you know. Because pride goes before that fall, does it not? That when we come to other men, it's calling Mark. I'm, 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 some of y'all know I'm, 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 I'm working on a project. I'm working on a paper. It's a real long paper. So I call Mark. Mark, I need, I need some accountability. Your brother is struggling. I need you to etch out some time in your schedule so you can hold me accountable to this. I need you, if you can, you got study and do, I got study and do. Let's meet, study together because I need accountability. So if I don't show up, I need you to call me, text me, hold me accountable. This is, this is crucial for us to understand. But if I, I organize my life in a way that nobody would even think to ask me, are you, are you giving generously to the church? Are you, are you faithful on the internet? Are you, I, I saw the way you spoke to your wife. You had too much force in your voice. You need to call her back in my presence and repent to her. Now somebody says, well, I just don't have nobody to do. No, you don't want nobody to do that. Yeah, I ain't come to play with men this morning. Don't, we, we ain't justify. You don't want it. I do want it. No, you don't. No, I do. Can you do it? You don't want it. Why? You won't submit to the process. Oh, but just nobody wants to do it. Listen, when the student is ready, y'all know it. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. 
Chinese proverb. I'm just waiting for a teacher. No, you're just not ready to be a student. And I could talk to men hard like that. And I ain't got to watch nothing up. I can just talk to men hard. Love y'all. Y'all know that. But for, for, for honestly, some of us need that kick right there. We need to break down that excuse. Anyway, let's keep going. David, David believes in this thing that our, that our culture believes in. And it's, and it's this idea that the culture tries to convince men that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But we all know that's not true. We want to believe that men can behave one way at home and another way when no one's watching. But by now you should know, if you don't let me help you, your sins will find you out. He saw, he sought, and then he took. He sent for her. Listen, she doesn't have a choice in the matter. I mean, she could just lay down and say no, or she could try to hide, or she can run. And the text doesn't say she does that. But for the most part, when the king calls you, you come. And she doesn't know why the king is calling. She just comes. Can you imagine being Bathsheba, her getting there, thinking maybe the king wants her to do something in his service, and the only reason she's there is because of how she looks? Can you imagine how devalued she must feel? The Bible does not give us any conversation that is happening. We don't see this is a date and David's asking about her likes and dislikes. She is there for one purpose, for the lusting heart of a king. There's no conversation. There's no affection. There's just David's needs being met. Now, some of us will say, well, man, I mean, but Rodney, this is 2017, and, and this happens all the time, and I mean, how, don't, don't, don't be too hard on David. And we'll say things like, um, well, maybe David was under some stress, or maybe there are difficulties at his home, or maybe, maybe David didn't feel appreciated because as a leader, you don't always feel appreciated. Like, that gives you an excuse to go out and do whatever you want to do. Maybe he's suffering from this midlife crisis. We wonder whether Bathsheba offered any resistance or was she just complicit? Was she even more enthusiastic than that or did she encourage him? Brothers, listen to me. It does not matter what your excuse is because maturity takes responsibility. Mark hit that last week. Avoid the trap of justifying your sins. Well, I did it, but, but let me just tell you what was going on. Just so stop for a moment. It's on you, dude, bruh. It's on you. You're responsible for that. Yeah, but my dad wasn't there. But it's on you but I've never seen it. It's still on you. It wasn't modeled for me, but it's still on you. And this is hard, and it's still on you. You can't negotiate away 
your responsibility. And if you do, it only does more damage than good. And this is exactly what David does. When David gets the word back, he thinks it's over. He thinks it's done. He's like, all right, I ain't going to do that no more. That was a mistake. It was a lapse in my judgment. Uh, It won't happen again. But you can choose your sin, but you don't choose your consequences. And now she's the one sending messages. Uh, Yeah, could you take a message to David for me? pregnant. David, does he says, woe is me, heartbroken, not, I'm going to take responsibility for that. Listen, let's go talk to the prophet. Let's go talk to the priest. Samuel, Nathan, one of y'all, I need help. I need accountability. It's a mess. I don't know what to do. I'm confused. Uh, the king's in trouble. Does this disqualify? Do I need to step down for a season? Woo! I'm sorry. Um, Part of the way you know that you understand what repentance is, is men, you're willing to accept the responsibility. And I am talking to men, but I'm talking to gospel fellowships. Ladies, there are times where you need to take responsibility for your own actions. Uh, Is that what he does? Nope. He's like, I'm the king. I'm going to cover this up. And so he calls Uriah, Uriah, um, listen, man, I see how well you're doing out on that field. You're doing your thing. Listen, uh, vacation, go home. Go, Uriah is Bathsheba's husband. Yo, Uriah, yeah, you, you, you're doing good. Go home, man. Be with your wife. Y'all, y'all do you. She probably miss you. You've been away for a while. You need to go home, man. He's trying to get Uriah to take the rap for his own iniquity. But because God is in it, Uriah says, I can't go home. We at war. King, thank you, but I can't. But I'm ordering you. Yeah, I can't. Can't do it. Because Uriah refuses to do it, David has Uriah placed on the front line of battle. And Uriah is killed on the battlefield, not necessarily because he was a soldier, but because of the sin of the king. Gospel. Our hearts long for a king. In the book of Samuel, the the people of Israel would scream out, give us a king, give us a king like the other nations. Give us someone who would rule over us with justice. Give us someone that we can point to and say, look at the leader of our nation. Give us someone that would protect us in a time of war. Give us someone that would feed us in a time of famine. And they were searching for a king. And Samuel said, no, God is your king. And the people said, no, God isn't good enough to be our king. And so when David commits the horrible act of adultery and then the more horrific act of murder and conspiracy, 
what you're seeing in David is the reason why God says, or Jesus, there is only one way to the Father. There is only one true king that our hearts should be longing for. And he doesn't sit in a white house. Or he doesn't sit on some throne. He, he, he's the only king that in him there is no sin. In him there is not the lust that you saw in David. In him there is not the him lifting up this person higher than the other. It's, it's Jesus is our perfect king. And when we get to receive him as king, we get what Israel's heart longed for in Saul and in David and in Solomon. We get the righteous king who will sit on David's throne and the book says to his throne there be no end. Jesus does for us what David could never do. So as we read 2 Samuel, let's lift Jesus off the pages of that text even though you never see his name. That's good news. That's good news. Last point, real strength. I'm almost done. I talked about this at the men's huddle, superheroes. Uh, when I left, my kid was, ah! He was flying all over the room thinking he's Superman or whatever. Uh, so he'll go in the room, his regular clothes off, he'll go in the room, I'll be back! Goes in the room. Uh, comes back, cape on, little, I tell him Superman didn't have this little eye patch cover thing, but he don't believe me, so he puts on his Spider-Man eye cover with his Superman cape. <laughs> That's just my son. That's just my son. And so even in the hearts of every boy, there's this superhero component that we have. This is superhero uh, situation. Uh, but I wonder how, how Superman would have navigated through this text that we just walked through. The Flash, as fast as he is, I don't think he could outrun this situation. I don't think Superman could just fly away from this. See, the superpower that we need as men is not in our strength, it's not in our pockets, it's not in our minds. It needs to be something that God does to our hearts that help us to take responsibility and do what's right even when it's unpopular. What we need is moral strength. It is Dr. Martin Luther King that said the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort or convenience, but it is where he stands in times of challenge and in controversy. Sally P. says this, when someone is dishonest, my first response is frustration and then sorrow. Finally, I'm sad for that person because he or she hasn't learned how to be a real man or a real woman. Maturity takes responsibility. And this is what David experienced when Nathan the prophet comes to him and he can't see his sin Nathan gives him a story and points out, David, you are the man that has made this great sin against God. And it's from that point that we read Psalms 51, David's great legendary repentance. I just want to read the first 10 verses in your hearing. 
Watch what David says when he gets ready to take responsibility. If you're a man in here today and you're convicted by what I'm saying, you're saying, man, I have a lack of consistency or, or, or I have a lack of real moral strength. Hear what David says when he gets it, because what I love about David is he, he keeps coming back to God. That's, that's an attribute of his character that we can look at and say, man, that's good. Even when David misses it, he knows I have to go back to God. It is not just that I have to go to church. I have to go back to the God of the church. Not just that I have to go to a pastor or leader. I have to go back to God. David says in Psalms 51, have mercy on me. Oh, I love it. I love it. He's not qualifying it, justifying it, rolling down a list of excuse. Mercy. I'm wrong. Oh, God, according to your steadfast love or your consistent love, According to the abundance of your mercy, blot out my transgressions. Ain't nothing else to do for it for you but you to erase it because I can't cleanse it. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Wash me, cleanse me, for I know my transgression. Brother, do you know? Do you know your sin? And my sin is ever before me. Brother, can you relate? Have you ever been like me and try to outrun it? Have you tried to, to, to do better efforts to get away from it? No, you can't. It's ever before you. There's only one way to deal with that. You repent. Verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is not David saying he didn't sin against Bathsheba, he didn't sin against uh, his wife's. It's not him saying that. It's him saying that he understands primarily who my sin was against. It's against God. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward parts, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop, cleansing agent, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. There's a beauty that comes from intimacy with God that I can't lay my hands on for you to get. And no group will provide for you. And no service will do the kind of intimacy David is talking about. David remembers the joy and the gladness of his intimacy with Jesus. And his unrepented sin is hindering that. And David says, I want to I repent from my sin so I can, I can experience the beauty and the joy of being with you. And believers know what I'm talking about. That joy of just being with Jesus that you, you long for and that you need. Let my bones, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out my iniquity. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Only God can clean the heart. Oh God, and renew the right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Five things I want men to think about this week, and then, we're, then I'm done for real this time. <laughs> real men grow. Here's five ways. Prayer. Prayer. Men, one of the ways 
we grow in our humility and we grow in our maturity is by the time we spend with Jesus. There is no substitute for that. I can ease, this can easily say uh, ways real women grow in God, easily. Number two, through honesty. A practice of being honest. Telling the truth. Speaking the truth in love. Not just honesty uh, with you and God, and that's critically important, but honesty with each other. Repentance, we talked about that from Psalms 51. Kindness, one of the ways I grow in my masculinity is not when I can raise my voice and turn up so the whole place hears me. No, it's in you grow as a real man when you can be kind. And lastly, security. What do I mean? Being secure in who you are in Christ. Amen?